going to read Ezekiel 34, 1 through 15. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. When they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flocks lack a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. Hey, so um, this, is, this is week number four of our sermon series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Tonight we're talking about Jesus' statement, I am the Good Shepherd. Now, I'm really excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I need to kind of give you a warning. Okay, this is my, this is my warning. Uh, I'm going to share some political opinions with you tonight. Whew. Yeah, I know, I don't usually do that, but I am. Because I, I think, I think one, because they are moral issues and they are gospel issues, and I think they're going to illustrate the gospel for us tonight. Now, are you ready for my controversial Political statement. You ready? Slavery is immoral. No, 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 I'm serious. You, slavery is immoral. It is immoral. It is an affront 
to the image of God in a human being for another human being to suppose to own or control another person. It's wrong. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were forbidden from enslaving their fellow Israelites because God, in fact, rescued them out of slavery. Now, you say, well, Justin, like, why is that a political point? Why does that matter? Well, I'm, I can tell you there's a point in time uh, in our nation's history that it was a really big political point, but I can tell you it's a really big political issue today because in the United States, slavery is still legal. Did you know that? Slavery is still legal as long as it is for the punishment of a crime. If you commit a crime, the government can sell, actually they lease you, your labor to companies who don't have to pay you anything for your labor. And those private prisons can make up more, more charges against you to keep you in prison longer, and they're incentivized to make sure you're not really re rehabilitated, because if you recidivize, then they get more free labor from you. And so people own other people. But wait, the argument is this, right? But those people are criminals. They broke the law. They deserved to be kept in captivity. They deserved to be forced to work against their will. They deserve it because they did something wrong and they are bad people. So that makes it okay for us to treat them as if their being and their time and their labor have no value and that they have no choice in their life. But I think even if they had, in fact, committed crimes, that, that it is wrong and immoral. And I know some of you, maybe, maybe, maybe you're on board, I don't know. But some of you are like, but, 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 but those people are different. You know what? Statistically speaking, I don't know how many people are in here, probably about 50-something people. Statistically speaking, at least two of you will be incarcerated at some point in your life. Actually, I'm just kidding. You guys are college students, and you're at a church meeting tonight, so it's actually the people on the other side of town that have that chance of being incarcerated, not you. So it makes it different, because it's, it's not me. It's interesting, the things that go through our mind when we think about the value of a person, the way that we estimate if someone deserves something or doesn't deserve something, if something is fair or unfair, or right, or wrong. Now, I can tell you this, that I, I really do believe that slavery, all slavery, is sinful and immoral, and leaders and governing authorities should do everything in their power to prohibit it because it is a affront to God, because it's an affront to the image of God that he has put in people. But I think what we're going to see tonight is this very controversial idea. And this is my first point you can put on the screen. Jesus is teaching us that good shepherds don't just care about good sheep. You see, sometimes we have this idea that good people deserve good things and bad people deserve bad things. And bad people get what they deserve. And it's okay to treat people differently if they're bad people. But Jesus is telling us tonight in this, in this passage we're going to look at in John chapter 10. We're going to go in a minute. So we're going to be in Luke 11, then we're going to John 10, Probably make a stop in First Peter. We're going to be a couple different places, so you just hold on, okay? But, but Jesus is telling us that the good shepherd doesn't just care about good sheep. You see, we read from, from Ezekiel just a little bit ago. 
And maybe some of you are like, man, where is this going? Because God is angry at the government officials who are in charge of leading his people. That's right. God has opinions about government officials who don't take good care of people. And God is angry at Israel's shepherds. He calls them shepherds because what they've done is they've made themselves rich at the expense of those they were supposed to be taking care of. And that they only cared about themselves and not the people they were meant to serve. How many of you ever had that sentiment? And so God is angry at Israel's shepherds because they have not done what they were supposed to do. Now, we're going to read really quickly from Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 42 and 46. And it's because I want to give you some context. I want to tell you what Jesus really thinks about the religious leaders that he's focusing on. We, we read last week um, in John chapter 10 how that Jesus is talking specifically to the Pharisees in this, in this portion of John, and that it's in response to them kicking out a man um, for being healed. All this man did was he was healed by Jesus, and they kicked him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. And so Jesus is talking about these Pharisees, these wicked shepherds, these wicked leaders. And in, in Luke chapter 11, verses 42 and 46, this is what Jesus himself has to say about the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mints and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts of the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus replied, And you experts in the law... Woe to you, because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. You see, the problem with the Pharisees is the Pharisees had added all of their extra rules and all of their extra ideas and interpretations of Moses' law, and they had made it so complicated and so difficult that it was really easy for them to point out how terrible other people were because no one could keep all of those rules. And they had done this in a way to make themselves look good, to make others look bad. And it was their exaltation at the expense of those they were meant to serve. You know, here I go being political again. Did you know that all of you broke the law today? How many of you drove in a car today? You broke the law. At some point, I bet you crossed a line somewhere, right? Your blinker, did you put that on 100 feet before you turned? Or is it 200 feet? It depends on which state you're in on how far you have to do it. Did you know that, that since the Constitution was written, there have been 30,000 laws passed? Those are just the federal laws. And those don't include all of the government agencies that make up their own policies or forms that if you make those things wrong or do that wrong, you get in trouble for that. That doesn't include all of the state laws or city ordinances. That does not include the IRS code. How many of you have ever worked before? Anywhere, right? You probably broke an IRS rule somewhere and you don't even know about it yet. You did. You see, here's the thing. And this is, this is just to give you a picture. 
right? It's impossible as it, to live in the U.S. and not break laws. It, it is literally impossible. It's just a matter of discretion over who gets in trouble for it. Listen, I bet all of you have driven over the speed limit if you drive. I bet most of you have driven more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. That's reckless driving. But you know what? You didn't get caught. So you think you're better than people who got caught. Again, I'm not encouraging you to go and break the laws. I'm not saying that we should all be lawless. I'm not inciting a rebellion. But what I'm saying is, yeah, you break the laws, but for most of you, there's not a consequence for it. Maybe for some of you, or maybe for some people, you do five over, and that could land you in jail. You see, the problem is the Pharisees have made it so difficult for people to live their lives, for people who really want to worship God. They made it so easy to kick people out of the temple. I mean, they kicked out this guy that we read about in John chapter 9 just because Jesus healed him. That was the only thing he did wrong, is Jesus healed him, and he refused to deny Jesus and call Jesus a sinner, so they kicked him out of the synagogue. These people who are supposed to be shepherds have put all this weight on the people they're supposed to serve, and they're pushing people down, trying to exalt themselves. And this is the environment they're in. Listen, I, I'm sure you could probably draw some parallels. I, I bet there may be one or two people in, in the United States who use their power to make themselves wealthy at the expense of others. There are probably some politicians somewhere who probably own stock in some private prison somewhere, and I'm sure that doesn't affect how they vote at all. And I'm sure... There may be people in your life somewhere that were supposed to be leaders, supposed to help you, supposed to lift you up, and instead what they did is they pushed you down because it made them look better. This is what Jesus is pushing back against with the Pharisees. This is the context that we see Jesus making this statement about being the good shepherd. He's calling out these hypocrites, these false shepherds, in a similar way that God calls out the false shepherds of Israel through Ezekiel's prophecy. And Jesus is now set telling us that he is in fact fulfilling Ezekiel's prophecy here in John chapter 10. So in John chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. We're going to read uh, John 10, 10 through 18. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. 
This command I received from my Father. There is a general sentiment in the world today. This idea that people want to hustle and grind and do whatever they can to make a life for themselves. And what that typically looks like is being an opportunist, looking for a chance to exalt myself, to lift myself up, even if that comes at your expense. We have, for whatever you think about our economic situation, we have, in our culture, come to a point that my personal exaltation trumps everything else. That I will do what's good for me, and I don't care what it costs you. I don't care how it affects the other people who may be my coworkers. I don't care how it affects the people who may be my friends and family. I am going to do what is best for me, regardless of the cost to others. It is a self-centeredness. It is a self-focus that I think has taken over our culture. And this logic dominates us. The logic of the world that says good sheep deserve good shepherds, but those who go astray, they get what they deserve. But Jesus is doing something completely different here. Jesus is turning everything on its head. Jesus tells us, he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that you do not, um, that are not in the sheep pen, and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You see, what Jesus says is Jesus says, you're good at my expense, even if you don't deserve it. You see, there's this controversial thing that's happening here that we don't really understand, and I, I want to help you understand it. John is writing this gospel message, and he's writing this after the ascension of Jesus. He's writing this after the birth of the early church on the day of Pentecost. He's writing this later. And so John has the perspective, he knows what is going to be the natural outflow of the gospel movement. And John has that, and he's writing this to an audience who also understands what's going to happen, because it's already happened when John is writing this. But he's writing to us about people who don't know that. Because at this moment, standing in the temple, hearing Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, they don't know what is going to happen next. But John is giving us hints. He's giving us foreshadowing of what is going to happen next because John makes this statement that Jesus makes. Jesus says, I have shepherd that are not in this pen that you don't know about. And it's my job to go and get them so that we can have one flock. And be honest, if the people in the temple that day had known what Jesus was talking about, they would have been livid. Because for them... They could not have conceived a gospel. They could not have conceived a shepherd that was good enough to bring pagans into the sheep pen. It was a crazy idea. And John is hinting at this because John knows what's going to happen. Listen, this was the biggest problem 
internally in the early church. The biggest divisive issue that we have the letter of Paul to the Romans because the Jews and the pagans could not get along. The Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians couldn't work it out. We have Paul rebuking Peter, rebuking the Romans, because they could not get over this idea. They did not like the idea that God is bringing unclean people into the flock because they don't deserve to be here. Jesus' statement was more profound than any of his original hearers could have understood. They could not comprehend. They liked the idea that Jesus is going to be our good shepherd. I don't know how they would have responded if they had understood who those other sheep were. We know that because we know that even the early church struggled. It was not a small thing when Peter himself goes to Cornelius' house and preaches the gospel to Gentiles, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in water. And Peter, they call a special meeting in Jerusalem, and Peter has to go to Jerusalem and be like, but you don't understand. God showed me this vision. And Peter actually has to make a defense why it's okay to include those who are not inside the pen and to bring them inside the pen. So Jesus is telling us up front, that the good shepherd is not just here for good sheep. He's not just here for people who are already in the pen. He's not just here for people who we think belong. You see, because we go back to Ezekiel and the critique that God is making of those evil shepherds is that when people went astray, nobody went after them. They said, listen, it's comfortable here. We got plenty to eat. We got nice clothes. Why in the world we go out there and get dirty to find those sheep who are stupid and wandered away? And God is so angry and he's so livid that he's going to tell these evil shepherds how he's going to pour out their wrath, his wrath on them. And he's going to replace them by coming and being the shepherd himself. Jesus is saying, I, I am the good shepherd, and I am come, I have come to find all of those who have been scattered, all of those who are helpless and afraid, all of those who've been burdened down by leaders who didn't care about them, all of those who've been oppressed and frustrated and picked on because the people I trusted to take care of them failed. And Jesus says, I am not like them. I am different. I am the good shepherd. And then Jesus does something crazy. Jesus gives us an economy lesson. You see, what makes slavery so bad is that it says to a person, your time, your effort, your energy is worth nothing, right? In the American prison system, it's actually technically not true slavery. They pay them like 10 cents an hour to work. So let me ask you a question. What's an hour of your life worth? What would you expect someone to pay you for just an hour of your life? Are you worth minimum wage? 
some of you are smiling and nodding go, apparently. Maybe some of you are more valuable. Maybe you're worth $10. Right? Is that what I could pay for an hour of your life? What would I have to pay to get an hour of your life? Maybe $15? $25? I do have some work that needs to be done. $35? No takers? Okay. Anyways, I need somebody who can uh, run a chainsaw or something. Do some manual labor. I'm not really hiring anyone. But you understand the concepts that we pay people for their time. Right? And this is how we do it in our society. If you have a particular skill that is marketable, then your time is worth more. Right? Right? So if I have, like, I have a, some big tree limbs that need to be cut up uh, for Elijah's bonfire, and um, I need someone who can run a chainsaw without cutting a limb off of your body, right? Cut the limbs off the tree, not your body, right? Because if you cut your leg off, that's a whole lot of more money for me, and it's not worth it anymore, right? I don't want you to get hurt, right? But people who have special skills, we pay them more because their time is worth more, right? And as we get older, the idea is that we would build more value in ourselves, and we would work ourselves into jobs that would value our time and our effort and our energy and our talents and who we are, and they would pay us more. We do this in a lot of ways, right? Even when it's not about payment, sometimes we reward people with honor. Like certain people are worth more honor because they have honorable roles in our society, right? Jesus talks about the Pharisees, how they like the greetings in the marketplace. They like to be seen. They like to be valued and they like to be important. So sometimes the, the value we assign are, are things like that, but let's just be honest. I mean, how much are you going to pay an ex-con to come work for you? Right? The, the salary of an ex-con goes down drastically from maybe what you guys are going to make when you graduate with your bachelor's degree. I mean, listen, most of you, when you graduate with your bachelor's degree, you will be in the top 90% earners in the entire world. You'll be rich. You'll be very wealthy. You see, we think about value in these terms. I, um, I, I own some property, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, a property appraisal, but here's how they appraise property. They go and they find three similar properties near you that sold recently. Right? And they have this fancy equation where they calculate like the square footage or how many acres of land you have or, or all these different things to make the, the comparison comparable. And basically, your land or your property or your house is valued based on what people were willing to pay for similar properties near you. Right? That's, that's how that works. In the end of the day, like, you could, you could like, take something and, like, list it on eBay and say it's worth a million dollars, but it's not actually worth a million dollars unless someone is willing to pay a million dollars for it, Right? It's only worth what someone will pay. Your time, it's only worth what someone will pay you for it. And you may think your time is worth $30 an hour, but if no one's willing to pay you $30 an hour, guess what? It's not going to work out. So what does all this have to do with anything? Jesus is making an economic statement here. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, the problem is, is we think about human worth through our human lens of value, but Jesus is making a value statement. Jesus is saying, your life is worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. And he says, I am willing to pay for your life with mine. Jesus is saying, regardless of who you are, or where you came from, or what you're like, or what other people think make you valuable, regardless of how much people are willing to pay you for your time or effort and energy, regardless of your educational status, regardless of who you are or who you've been, I have decided that your value is worth my life. And this is a crazy economic statement about the value of human life. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter puts it this way. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You see, here's the thing. It's easy for us to value ourselves more highly than others because we can point to their faults and their flaws and the things that make them worth less than us. But the reality is, is that you are just as unrighteous as they are. Without the good shepherd paying a price for you, you have no value except the value that he ascribes to you. You are worth something because Jesus says you are worth something. And at the same time, others are worth something simply because Jesus says they are worth something. This is a crazy, radical thing. That you are valued based on what Jesus paid for you. And that other people, they are valued based on what Jesus paid for them. You see, we, we sit here and go, Justin, that seems like a really, really simple concept. Of course we believe that. That people are worth what Jesus paid for them. This issue divided the early church fiercely. I think sometimes we don't understand how angry that division made God and how strongly the apostles' words were against those who caused division amongst his people. You see, here's the problem. We say that we believe this. But I think the church is just as divided as the world that we live in. I don't think there's a single topic or issue in the church that we have gotten figured out. You see, it was shocking for people that I was going to make a political statement in my sermon. Why? Because that's something that Christians argue about. We live in a world where everyone else is the enemy 
and I'm smarter than them, and I'm better than them, and because they don't agree with me, then they are worth less than I am. They are less than human. They are my enemy. They don't deserve to live. We have to hate them. And maybe you haven't gone that far, but that's really where our culture is going, that if you don't agree with me on everything, then we can't be friends, and you are the enemy, and I have nothing to do with you. And we have lost the ability to look at people and say, Jesus gave his life for that person. The good shepherd laid down his life to protect the flock against the very division that we're bringing. Listen, I think, I think that Christian leaders should be the best leaders the world has ever seen. But the church is still divided by race. I think Christian leaders should be the best leaders that the world has ever seen. But we can't get over petty arguments. I think Christian leaders should be the best leaders the world has ever seen. But we are not going to go get our hands dirty to help people who are not already in our flock. And what Jesus is saying, he says, if you want to follow the good shepherd, this is what it means. It means they're good at your expense. Because that's what Jesus is modeling for us. He says, I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for the sheep. This sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus We judge people based on our valuations of what makes them good, what makes them worthy, what makes them worth our time, effort, or energy. But Jesus is judging people differently. He's not asking, what can I get out of this? He's not asking, what can these people do for me? Listen, Jesus doesn't need your time, effort, or energy. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything that you have to offer. This is not about what you can do for him, but about what he can do for us. But the problem is, is that we, we intellectually know that Jesus is the good shepherd. We know this story. We know this concept that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. But it's hard to live it out because we're selfish. It is. That's, that's it. We're, we're selfish. We want what we want. And because of that, we tend to view other people as a commodity. We judge other people for their worth and value to us today. How can you help me get where I need to go? TJ, if you'll come back up, we're going we're gonna to close out here in just a minute. I think for some of you here tonight, the struggle for you is this. Can you be good enough to be worthy of what Jesus paid for you? 
Can you somehow make it a good bargain for Jesus that he gave his life for you? Is there something that you have to do now? And I think for so many people, we're hesitant to walk in relationship with Jesus because we think for some way we will be a disappointment because we will not live up to what he paid for us. And again, that is a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. He says that the Father loves me because of who I am, and who I am is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Not because someone took it from him, because he gladly laid it down. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't have to die to prove his strength. He died to demonstrate his love. He raised himself from the dead to prove his strength. Some of us have chosen to believe that other things about us, the way the world defines worth or value, have defined who we are. And that the strength of Jesus is not enough to overcome the things. You see, here's, here's the thing, that sin is like slavery. It's the same concept, right? There's no way you can live a life free of sin. You are going to sin just as sure as you're probably going to commit a traffic infraction if you drive on the road. But everyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. And slaves have no value. The enemy of your soul does not value your soul. That's why he makes you a slave to sin. But you deserve to be a slave to sin because you are, in fact, a sinful person. But Jesus decided that he was going to come and set you free from your slavery. He was going to emancipate you. And this is a theme we see all throughout Scripture, that Jesus is the one who redeems us. He's the one who buys us back. He's the one who sets us free from the things that hold us captive. And I think sometimes we think that our sin is so bad that somehow Jesus can't buy us back, that he can't pay a high enough price, that there isn't enough power, that he's too weak to set us free from the things that have kept us in bondage. And what Jesus is saying here is, I am the good shepherd, and not only do I love you enough to protect you from the things that would attack your soul, I am powerful enough to protect you from everything that would attack your soul. And that there is no way that you have gone too far away from the sheep pen that I won't come to you and find you and rescue you and bring you back home again. And Jesus is making this incredible value statement about what he thinks about you. When was the last time you sat and just thought about how highly Jesus values you? Here's what I want to do tonight. I want to just give an invitation. We're going to have a time of prayer. I don't know what you want to pray about. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking something to your heart. Maybe there's, there's something about your own value. Maybe there's something about sin in your life. Maybe there's something about just trusting Jesus as the good shepherd. I don't have a specific response. I just want to tell you this, that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you should respond. But how to respond? You can come up front and pray. You can pray where you're at. You can ask your small group leader to pray for you. You can ask a staff member to pray for you. You can just 
stay where you're at and just quietly listen to God speak to you. I, I'm not caught up in how we're going to respond tonight. I just want us to make some time and space where we respond to what the Lord wants to do in our lives. So if you guys will stand with me. I'm going to pray a very brief prayer over us. And then we're going to have just a, a brief time here tonight where we're going to respond. Jesus loves you more than you can understand and ma- understand or imagine. And Jesus loves the people around you, even the ones that you don't, more than you can understand or imagine. And if we could live as if those two things are true, it would change everything about us. So, Lord, let it be so in us tonight. Jesus, you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, help our hearts to trust you tonight. Help us to to rightly exalt you to the place you belong, to be the shepherd of our life. That we would totally trust and totally depend on you for our protection. We would totally trust and totally depend on you for our value. Lord, tonight, would you make those things a reality, transform anything and everything in our life that does not conform to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can respond. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening.